Virginia Shirley. And I'm Beth Ann Garman Merkel. And this is Meteor, the honest podcast about science communication with impact. Listeners, we invite you to think of this episode as a conversation between mid-career professionals having lemonade together at a conference during a break. Yes. We feel like there are loads of great spaces already devoted to SciComm skill building. So we'd like to share some of the advanced user conversations that, frankly, we're already having with each other because we want to open up these conversations beyond just us. We want to know what you think. Today, we're talking about resumes and CVs and how we measure ourselves as science communicators. Yeah, like mirror, mirror on the wall, whose resume is the fairest of all? (laughs) Not like that at all. I will rephrase that into how does my resume compare to my CV? I am way more interested in making sure I have the fairest version of myself than comparing myself to other people. Oh my gosh. percent. Yes. So the whole idea here is to think about how we present ourselves. My laundry list CV of everything that I've ever done that's career relevant is 31 pages and counting right now. And that's not even because I've had a long career in academia. Beth Ann, in the notes for this episode, you wrote that a resume is maybe two to four or even six pages, <laughs> but mine does not go above two. When I transitioned from researcher to communicator, there was a point where I had 14 different resumes prepared. And I don't just mean that I applied to 14 jobs. I mean, like I had 14 resumes for 14 types of <laughs> jobs. I was very careful to emphasize different things on each one. So I have to say, I find that shocking. I've never <laughs> managed to get a resume under three pages. <laughs> also, I should go count my past resumes. Maybe 14 isn't as surprising as I think. I would guess that it's not. I would say, I mean, I like what I'm doing right now as a freelancer. And I think I probably have like three different versions on my computer now just for, you know, one is for grants, like NSF has a standard, whatever it is. So if I'm added in as a consultant, then I need to have it in a certain format. So I don't, I think you'd be surprised how many you probably have lurking. I bet you're right. Um, But I feel like we're getting a little into the weeds. So Beth Ann, why don't you tell the good listeners why we're thinking about CVs and resumes so much right now at all? Well, I applied for and pitched a few things this spring that required a resume or a super condensed CV. And in one case, I had to frame up my entire career, not just my skills or what I do right now. And I realized that the laundry list in my CV had been making me feel like every entry had to prove to someone else that I was qualified. I was basically using my CV to ask permission to be here at this university where I work, to ask for permission to do what I do. Oh no. Yeah, not great. (laughs) Then a struggle to get respect for my expertise here because I don't have a typical academic background. And making that resume forced me to realize I've internalized that struggle way too much. I got my 31 pages down to that three page resume and I saved that file as my executive communications resume. And let me tell you, I've got chops. I hadn't even allowed myself to recognize and making that resume forced me to own my expertise in a way that was internally really powerful. 
I am super proud of you. And this is the real thing that we wanted to cover today in this conversation. We are conditioned to think of a resume or a CV as an external instrument, provided so that someone else can decide uh, whether we're worthy of something. They use it to judge us. But what does it mean to use your CV or your resume as an internal assessment device so you can use it for self-judgment? We'll call it self-evaluation. Yeah, that's better. <laughs> and this pulls me so hard back to how powerful it's been for me in the last couple of years to try to follow Baronda Montgomery's model that we should work from affirmation and set our own parameters. I still feel like an academic outsider, though I am learning to pass. And of course, passing gets close to assimilation and the whole dark side of all that. <laughs> but anyway, it's a huge mind shift for me to think this document doesn't have to be a yardstick that I use to try to fit in. This can be a document I use to give myself permission. And I know this take isn't novel, but it feels radical for me right now. And you had to give yourself permission in a personally radical way too, right, Virginia? Yes, definitely. When I first transitioned from researcher to science communicator, I felt the exact same way you just described. Like I had to prove that I was a communicator and not a scientist. I have since learned that I am a communicator who is a scientist, which feels a lot like the mental shift that you just described. So now when I'm doing career coaching, the first assessment question I ask when I read a client's resume is, has this person given themselves permission to pursue whatever job we're talking about? Are they presenting their experiences as being in harmony with the person they are now? Have they shown me how their past leads logically into the future with this particular job in it? Or are they trying to convince me that I should see them differently than they see themselves? Ooh, those are intense questions. <laughs> yes. So let me ask you, Bethann, intense question to you. Has your shift in how you see yourself lasted? Has it had any consequences in the position you hold now? Do you behave any differently at work? Yeah, but it's a habit of mine that I find takes a lot of maintenance. When I get that knot in my stomach that I'm not measuring up to some intangible external experience, expectation usually. I sometimes actually open that executive resume back up and I use it to kind of pat myself on the head and say, there. That's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> My career isn't something someone told me to do, right? It doesn't have a trajectory that's at all predictable. Right. Most of what I don't doesn't make sense to the people around me, even though they want me doing it. And that's been true my whole career. So I have to remind myself that I'm my best gauge here. I mm. set the rubric and that's the headspace part of it. The actual behave differently at work part is that I am actually doing some concrete things. And, and I will say, if you ask me for advice, I would tell you to do this stuff. I find it's a struggle for me to do it myself. And I would guess that a lot of us who are in these mid-career stages know what needs doing, it's just hard when it's us, when it's me, that I have yes. to do the thing for me about me, right? I can give yes. you advice all day. <laughs> so the things that I'm trying to actually put into action here are I'm asking for an honorarium or a one-time salary top up if I'm doing consulting and administrative level that's outside my job description, but built still for the university. That's been a big gulp, but so far so good on that front. 
And then I'm refocusing, I'm prioritizing time blocks to work on and finish projects that are a high priority for me. And I've got a whole process for doing that. But just suffice to say that I'm, I'm really making like carving out real time on the calendar and saying what I'm working on. And if I get the sense that what I'm doing isn't being valued, and for me, that means being considered or used, not just shelved, then I'm trying to refrain from putting more time into it. Then it's an active effort to not do the whole work to make yourself indispensable thing. It's kind of like freelancers working for exposure. And our grim joke there is that you can die from exposure. (laughs) I knew that so well as a consultant. It's taken me at least six years now to actively translate that into how I spend my time in academia. That's interesting that you mentioned that you knew it really well as a consultant, because yeah, all the stuff you just described being your own measure of success and making sure that valuing your, your work being valued as a priority. Um, you know, a lot of those are things that I think about as a freelancer. So I, I totally relate to all of that. Um, another point that I've picked up on from working in the CV to resume transition space is how tied up we get in the exact words that describe the job we hold. Science communication talks lots about who a scientist is, and I'm in the camp that views a scientist as more than a description of a profession. Yeah, funny you say that, actually. I just facilitated a values and visioning session for our department last Friday. We're embarking on a required merger and a move of our department to a whole other college. And as you can guess, folks are in knots about it. (laughs) It was fascinating to see how similarly, though, people see themselves, even though we have four distinct disciplines and countless subdivisions just in our own department. You know, I find it a bit of a relief that it's tough even for people in a department who've been doing it presumably way longer (laughs) than I have to think about who gets to define them and what that definition ends up being. Um, I found that when I transitioned from scientist to media specialist, I felt like I had misunderstood the theme of a house party that I'd walked in wearing obviously very wrong clothes. And now that I'm mid-career, I prefer to define myself according to the principles or the elements of my job that drive me most rather than the tasks that I carry out. So my resume may say media specialist is my title because that's a really short way to get across a lot of information and put me into a whole, like a space that people recognize. But I think of myself as a storyteller, a consultant and a trainer. Um, And to be honest, those are the elements that I loved most about my job back when I was still a researcher, just before I redirected my career, I should have been writing my dissertation. Instead, I was spending my time entering research explainer competitions, and I was mentoring and I was teaching. (laughs) (laughs) You're so right. Our society really leans into the whole one word job that equates to an identity, teacher, lawyer, doctor, that kind of thing. If we feel like we're more than one, or we use less familiar words, we're back to that idea of being at the costume party with the wrong costume. It's it's a whole it's a whole identity thing and we're dealing with it and so are the people around us. Yes, I definitely think that having a very brief description of yourself that other people understand is very useful. But if you never have your own 
different descriptor of yourself, then you are letting other people define who you are and what your career path is. Um, So this is another mindset change that I think was extremely important in my career advancement. I had to practice owning my own career descriptions instead of using the words that describe the tasks that I completed for pay. Totally. Can't say enough about how crucial that shift is. We're not merely what we do. That's a cog in a wheel mindset and it doesn't serve us. Yeah. Once I got comfortable making up my own definitions of myself, it became so much easier to understand how to present myself as a science communicator and to give myself permission to exist in SciComm spaces. Mm -hmm. This principle underlies how I painted myself as a totally different person without changing my past work experience at all. Yeah, that's kind of what I was dealing with this spring. I was pitching something that would have positioned me in that space, more as a communications director type, big difference in the framing, but I'm still me, same work history. Yes. So speaking of framing, I want to bring us back to the whole CV versus resume thing. And on the surface, a CV feels like it's quantity first and a resume feels like it's quality first. What is your take on that? So... I have in the not too distant past done at least three rounds of mashing down a CV into something that translates a little better. I've got a book proposal in to Chicago University Press with Stephen Hurd. There's that communications director thingy I was talking about with us more of a resume kind of thing. And then I am a co-PI on a few NSF grant proposals right now. And if you're at all familiar with that format, you'll know you can only put in, it's either five or six entries in two different spots in an NSF bio. You get to say like the top little handful of things that most represent you. And then the top handful of things that are somewhat relevant and that's it. So you have to dial everything down to that. And, and what I think is interesting about this is What is an exercise like that? Take a CV and get it down to a two-page resume or take a whole CV and get it down to 12 items without even any narrative prose. How do we use that as a reflection and a self-validation device for ourselves? This is a great point. I, I think that I found a happy medium by condensing it down into the qualitative stuff on my resume. So talking about the value of the results that I've produced, but then I sprinkle in little quantities into the descriptions sometimes, but often in the headers. Uh, You can see my resume for yourself at virginiashooty.com on my website, Um, but I'm still just stuck on, you know, my CV when I left academia, I was the end of my grad school career. It wasn't that long. How on earth, Bethann, do you get a 31-page CV to have quality in it. I don't even know what I'm looking for in something that's that long. Yeah, and honestly, I think this is one of the problems with a CV as a document that we use to evaluate people in academia. And if you want to see mine, <laughs> you can go to comnatural, C-O-M-N, natural.com. And I'll put my executive resume up there too so you can see the difference. Oh, nice. But what I think is going on with a CV is that, let's just talk about mine. I'm swamping you with evidence of my capacity based in past performance, right? But I'm relying on you to interpret all that as necessary and relevant and worth paying for in your specific context. 
And I'll say with 31 pages, I'm asking for a lot of your time for you mm-hmm. to get to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. So honestly, I'm not convinced there really is a good way to address quantity versus quality in a CV without an accompanying cover letter. Uh, and as long as I've been in academia, which isn't honestly that long, I've never seen someone call for a CV without a cover letter. So we may, we may just have a system that is accounting for that, but that's going to be another page or two that somebody's asking you to read. Right. So I can't, I also can't say that I've seen any CVs using the university here, our standard forms that allow a hybrid. So I think the other way you could possibly do this, it say, if you were applying for a job outside of your own academic system, I think this could work. I don't think it would work for me submitting into my own academic system because there's nowhere on the form to do this. But if you're sending someone a PDF, say, you could do a hybrid where you have a kind of intro header section. I wouldn't do more than half a page because this is going to look funny to people, but you could do that and use the kind of executive summary part of a resume so that you're kind of saying 14 plus years experience with this and 16 plus years leading teams like this, the kind of thing you would see at the top of a resume, you could prove, you could kind of preface a CV document with something like that. And then you would basically be using the CV to substantiate that. That might work, but it's going to depend on whether you're even allowed to submit something like that. If you apply to government jobs, that's going to be a no-go. They've got their own system that you put everything into, right? And they're not going to ask you for that. But I will say a hybrid like that is super tempting to me because I'm a compulsive masher-upper of disciplinary norms. And I think we should make a document that does the work we need it to do. So I like that as kind of a closing argument. So CVs and resumes are similar. They are also different, but no matter what position you are going for, you have to conform to their requirements and you need to make sure your resume is not trying to convince them of something and convince yourself of something. Instead, you need to have a good handle on who you are, how that thing fits into who you want to be, and then just show them show them why that all makes sense. Totally. And to borrow a little thread from my creative writing background, we call this show don't tell. And you'll find if you read, whether it's nonfiction or fiction, or even watching movies, if you get too much explainer stuff too much, so this is what's going on and not enough action, it's really easy to check out. And that's the show don't tell, right? So Obviously, though, we can't rewrite a resume or a CV in a few minutes, and we've been talking pretty high level here. So, Virginia, you've mentioned a few times that you actually coach on this. What could we do in a few minutes to at least start shifting our mindset about CVs and resumes so they feel like we feel like they're working for us, not acting like a report card? This is a great question. So revising a CV or a resume takes forever. And if you want to dive in, get in touch with me directly. Let me know what aspect of these documents you'd like us to discuss in a future episode of the podcast. So two ways that you can get more into the details. Um, If I had to give you an assignment right now to try and shift mindset, I would suggest focusing on your current title for a few minutes immediately after this episode ends while you have momentum. If you call yourself a scientist or a communicator, think about why you are a scientist or 
why you are a communicator. Why did you choose to work in whatever job you're in now? Um, set a timer and write down as many of the why elements as you can, write for at least two minutes and don't stop writing with a limit that you have to reach will force you to reach beyond your go-to terms that come to the surface immediately. And I always am interested to know what comes next, what comes when you force yourself to do that reaching. Then look at your list and think about what terms there could describe your motivation better than the words that have been given to you by the person that pays you money to do tasks during the daytime or nighttime. Uh, these motivation words are the ones that you should feature when you write about your accomplishments in your resume, in a cover letter, in a job interview, or even just when you're meeting people like at a conference. For example, I am less of a copywriter and I am more of a storyteller. And I'm less of a content maker these days, though that's an, a past life. And now I'm more of a facilitator. So I think this exercise could work great. I'm going to try to build this into the transferable skills part of my class this fall. <laughs> no pressure <laughs> on my activity. Gosh, I hope it's actually helpful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's the accountability on our end. Now, dear listener, if you really want to hold yourself accountable, talk about what you wrote down with colleagues or students or get in touch with us. We would genuinely love to know how reframing your CV or resume impacts your sense of self. You've been listening to Meteor, the honest podcast about science communication with impact. We have a short survey running right now. Tell us what you think SciComm needs or what resources you want that you can't find for your own work in SciComm. To join this conversation, leave us a comment or a review. Say hello on Twitter using at MeteorSciComm. Or check out everything we do in addition to the podcast on our website, meteorpsychom.org. Talk soon!